Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 14. See if you, you can see that, uh, that teaching, because it's, it's not just a line in a song, in the chorus of a song. It is thoroughly uh, biblical theology. So let's see if we can see it in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning there at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Amen. And uh, we, we do need God's blessing uh, on His Word. And the line of the song that we were, I was commenting on, it's practically in every line of this chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. There is no doubt there. Whenever you, you received your salvation, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. When Jesus comes, it's all done. And that's where we are this morning. You see a thing up on the, uh, the screen there. Uh, there's actually two titles there. Uh, the main title is, You've Got It All. I was very sad after having put my name down for the 3rd of September. Then I was told we were doing Ephesians. Uh, and therefore, uh, you need to do a bit of an introduction uh, as well as actually preach on the passage. Um, one particular famous preacher I would listen to a lot, I looked up to see what he said about Ephesians uh, 1, 1 to 14, and he has 10 sermons on that passage. I do not propose to preach 10 sermons, uh, nor do I intend to conflate 10 sermons into one sermon, or you'll still be here for the barbecue next week. Uh, so we, we'll try and work our way through some of the aspects of this passage. The other title is Location, Location, Location. I'm sure you've seen TV programs with names like that, because 
one way of looking at Ephesians, or Ephesians chapter 1 certainly, is by considering the idea of location. Uh, <clears throat> when you assess the value of a pro piece of property, it's not only the bricks and mortar uh, which are, are taken into consideration, but the location. And this can, you may or may not know, maybe you haven't tried to sell a house or buy one recently, this can up the value uh, of a property by colossal amounts. I, I said I was in Cornwall uh, for nine or ten days on holiday, uh, and I think it was a week ago yesterday, uh, we were in a place called St. Maws. Anybody ever been in St. Maws, Cornwall? Oh, you sad people. <laughs> One, <laughs> you sad people, you have missed a real treat. It is a most gorgeous, gorgeous place. Well, it is when the sun's shining. Uh, and it was, it was a beautiful place. And I was waiting on some of the rest of the family coming, and I was at the window of an estate agency. And I was looking at the eye-watering prices of property in St. Maws. One house was what you and I would call an end terrace, an end terrace. I mean, I don't know how you describe a building. I put down here in my notes, just an average size. I don't know what an average size house is, but it wasn't very big. It was 750,000 pounds. So if you're thinking of moving to St. Maw's Cornwall, I mean, you know, that's what you're facing. Needless to say, that estate agency did not have a queue at the door because all the other properties in the window were in that region uh, as well. Uh, so, the location matters. The location matters. Now, spiritually speaking, it's a bit like that when we move from one kingdom to another, because that's what becoming a Christian is about. We move from one location to a new location. We move from the location of the kingdom of darkness and sin and self uh, 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 and uh, under the authority of Satan. We move to the location of the kingdom of God. It's a new territory. It's a new place. It's a new house to live in. And we do that through believing in Jesus. And that new location is, is the kingdom of God. And it's all righteousness and light. Now, the trouble is, and this is the reason why Paul writes certainly the first part of Ephesians, in fact, all of Ephesians, uh, this is the reason he does that. The trouble is that because we don't actually realize how valuable this new location is, we don't realize how valuable it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, to be a member of the household of the living God. We don't get the best benefit from it and we lead troubled Christian lives. Um, I have two books in here, which I recommend if you're really serious about uh, the letter to the Ephesians. Here are two books. They're easily read. Uh, one is called Alive in Christ. It's published by Evangelical Press, written by a man called Stuart Olliott, and uh, e e Ephesians simply explained, and that's exactly what it does. And this one is uh, Let's Study Ephesians by a man called Sinclair B. Ferguson, published by the Banner of Truth. And it's an easy to read a book on Ephesians. So Sinclair Ferguson in this book uh, says this, we live too often below the level of our privileges. I was trying to find 
a simpler word than privileges to use with the boys and girls, but I can, the boys and the, the kids, I can use the word privilege for you because when you become a Christian, you come into an extremely privileged position in a privileged location. And Singler Ferguson says we too often live below the level of our privileges. We are like, he says, mountaineers who reach the high altitude and we find it difficult to breathe in such a rarefied atmosphere as this. Sadly, we are tempted to descend to lower grounds where climbing is more manageable to our spiritual lungs. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul's aim is to counteract that problem. So as you read through that, you will hear him setting out, talking about the riches of God's grace which he has lavished upon us. He is, he is telling us, you, you need to get to grips with what's happened here. All of this stuff, predestination, election, and all the rest of it. And that explains all the talk in that chapter about spiritual blessings. Spiritual. I'm not talking about a nice house or a car or a good income. It's spiritual blessings Paul is talking about, which are infinitely more valuable than anything we possess in material terms. And it's important that we know whatever our circumstances are, that we have every, not some, but every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Ephesians uh, chapters 1 to 3, Paul sets out those blessings. We'll come to it in a minute. He sets out those blessings, which are our location in Jesus. And in Ephesians 4 to 6, he explains how they are to influence our daily living. The first three chapters, this is the word you don't like, the first three chapters are, if you like, theology. Theology. People don't like that idea. They don't want to be theologians. But if you want to be a Christian, I'm just going to say to you, you have to be a theologian because you have to study the things of God in the Bible. You have to be a theologian of some degree. <clears throat> but we don't like it. And that's why people will rush to chapter 6 so that they can talk about the armor of God. But the armor of God is meaningless unless you've studied chapters 1 to 3 and studied the theology in 1 to 3. The second half of the letter naturally flows from the first half. Hence, we read at the beginning of chapter 4, after Paul has dealt with the theology, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, now the then means in view of everything I have written in chapters 1 to 3, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And the calling you have received is included in all those blessings he talks about in the first chapter and in the 2 and 3. So that's a kind of an introduction to the letter Let's move on to three things I want to say. See, my map has popped up on the wall. You might not be able to read it. I find it difficult uh, to, to get enough on the page that's still clear. Three things. We're talking about location. Three things. And in these three verses, I suggest to you that we might observe three locations in which we live as Christians, all simultaneously. So the first location is in Ephesus. In the first three, three <coughs> verses there, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in 
Ephesus. That's the first location. You see, it's real. Don't have to imagine it. It's on the map. There's a few pictures coming up there uh, from it. It's an ancient city. It was prominent in the Roman Empire. It was up there along with Corinth. Population of maybe 250,000, 300,000 people. A large city for the age in which we're talking 2,000 years ago. It is in what is now called Turkey. There was an amphitheater there, the size of a football stadium, holding as many as 50,000 people. It is believed from the, the seating arrangements in it. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 19. I suggest to you, if you're going to take Ephesians seriously, you should also go back and read maybe from Acts chapter 15 with particular emphasis on 18 and 19 and 20 because that's where this all comes from. But that amphitheater is just over half the size of Wembley Stadium. It was an important trading center, cultural center, political center. It was a seaport, which was a gateway into Asia. The buildings for which it is now famous were built under the Romans. And perhaps the, the greatest of these uh, was the Temple of uh, Artemis. Um, that's it up on the left-hand corner of the street. That's a, a mock-up of it. It's not the actual temple because those big pillars there, that's about all that's, that's left of it. Um, but uh, the Temple of Artemis in itself was a statement. And the way people come to Belfast and they look out for the Titanic Center, I personally have never been in it. Uh, <laughs> I'll say nothing about that. Uh, when people went to Ephesus, what they looked for was the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana, the same, same goddess, uh, Romans. One Greek name, one Roman name. Because emphasis, uh, uh, Ephesus was the center of the cult of Diana. This was a pagan city, and their chief god, as it, as it were, that everybody was concerned about was Diana. This was a pagan city of no mean reputation, and around it was what I've written down, and I've called it the Diana tourist industry. So you went there, and you went to little shops, and you bought little, little silver uh, models, silver ornaments of the goddess Diana, and doubtless there were priests somewhere who would, who would bless it for you. And that's what upset the silversmiths. You will read this in Acts chapter 19. Because Paul and his friends were preaching the gospel. And the gospel was working because God was moving. People were becoming Christians. And they were giving up buying uh, little silver ornaments. And the silversmiths were not impressed. One little bit. And that's where they grabbed Paul and his friends. And they dragged them into this amphitheater. And they wanted to do all sorts of things to them because they, were because they were spoiling their business. And only but for the intervention of a, of a local uh, dignitary, uh, who knows what might have happened. But Paul showed a better way. And these people stood to lose their income from their Diana statues. Now, here's the thing. Doubtless, <clears throat> the Christians in that city felt very small and intimidated. That's why I said to you that the Apostle Paul believed what God said through Isaiah in chapter 11. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Paul needed to believe that. Needed to believe that. And I think this sets it, therefore, in our context. And, and we need to get this 
I'm just looking at the time. We're not going to finish this sermon today. Uh, we need to get this right. Church is increasingly becoming meaningless in society. If you haven't noticed that, you're bound to have been in some kind of a spiritual sleep. We do not have the clout that we used to have, and I'm not sure we ever should have had the clout that we used to have, because that's not what church is about. That's not what the people of God is about. It's not about having clout in society. But whatever we had, we need to understand that it's gone and hasn't finished going yet. It will get worse. So we justifiably feel kind of small against society. Go about your, if you're at work or somewhere, a circle of friends, and how many of those people are genuine Christians. You go about a younger generation, how many genuine Christians can you find there? Probably very few. So, that sets us in the same position as Paul and his friends and the new Christians, that probably tiny little church meeting in a, a, a house in a back street somewhere in this metropolis of Ephesus, and that sets us in exactly the same position as them. Doubtless, uh, those Christians could remember that day in Acts 19 when the silversmiths uh, whipped up that, that riot on us and they were dragged into, because according to Acts chapter 19, for two hours, Whatever massive crowd was in that amphitheater kept on this deafening chant, great is Artemis of the, of the Ephesians. Now, I just think that's just like the society we live in. It's crying out. It's chanting all the time. We are great, even though it seems to be sliding down the tubes. It is crying out subtly, we are great. We don't need gods. We have got ourselves. And doubtless they could feel the, the Christians there could feel the, the vibes, as it were, of involvement with the occult in that city because it was a terrible center for uh, dark deeds, shall we say. And they needed to be reminded, and this is the point, they needed to be reminded, these Christians, that they not only lived in Ephesus, they also lived in Christ in Christ. Uh, <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those words are important. Those words are very important. And this is something which uh, we need to get to, to, to grips with because being in Christ is a location. It's where we are. It's not a theory. It's not a mere theology. It is some, a real thing, and we need to get to grip with that, and Ephesians helps us to do that. When we become Christians, we do, we do not receive some kind of benefits package. <laughs> some people look at being a Christian just like that. We do not receive some kind of a benefits package containing all of the bits of new life in Jesus. What the New Testament teaches is, what the Apostle Paul teaches is, we receive Christ Himself. 
Christ himself. In these 14 verses, Jesus is mentioned 15 times. Count it for yourself sometime. And implied, actually, more than that. And five of those mentions take the form of in Christ. Or it could be uh, translated into Christ, which I think is very good. It doesn't make sense in English, but it, it, it's, it's a good translation. Meaning that we are united to Christ. We are united to Him. We are made one with Him by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ who comes to indwell us. So that all that He has re uh, achieved by the cross becomes ours. We've been singing about that this morning. It's been amazing, the songs. Based straight on the th out of the theology of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, all that He has achieved by the cross becomes ours. Paul teaches that we died with him, were raised to new life with him, have ascended with him, reigned with him, and will be with him when he returns to glory. Those are blessings, all sort of mentioned in, the, in this passage. And they all are ours. So that's why Paul writes to these Ephesians in chapter 1, in verse 3, and he says, Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms? One way of looking at this is, is, is really simple. It means that we are already citizens of heaven. It's a done deal, folks. It's a done deal. If we have believed, it's a done deal. We have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, and that is our new location. Done deal. That's why I give this sermon the title, We've Got It All. That's what Paul is saying. We've got it all. It means that we're citizens of heaven. We have received all the benefits and privileges of heaven because we are joined with Christ. What's his is ours. And they became ours at the moment of our conversion. And that means that in our spiritual location, we are seated, as it were, on a high hill, if you like. And from that location, we have a good view of, of Ephesus, which, of course, is anywhere you and I happen to be. It's a picture. And to reassure his readers, Paul points out that all who believe have been marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Our location, or our status, if you like, into Christ will never change, and it will never deteriorate. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is God's guarantee that we cannot be more treasured or more important to God than we already are. We are His forgiven children. We call the creator of, our uni of the universe our Father. His Spirit lives in us, and that isn't all going to go away. It's forever. We have been lavished with the secrets of life. That's what the mystery thing um, is about there in uh, verse 9. We're supposed to go on to that in the last point, but I don't think we will be today. Too busy on the second one. We have been lavished with the secrets of life. And these are staggering things. You know, 
when we talk about amazing grace, this is what we're singing about. This is what we're singing about. Uh, our chains have gone. Yes, they've gone because all oh, these things have moved in and, and, and taken over our lives. If we are Christians, we have got it all. No matter how old we are, no matter what job we do, no matter what nationality we are, what language we speak, we do not need anything else spiritually. And there is nothing that you and I can do can improve on this, what Paul has talked to you. You need to take this home and read it. And read it over and over and over again. There is nothing we can do in the secular world, in our jobs, and our families. There is nothing we can do in our various ministries in the church which can add to this location, to this status. We've got it all already. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let me just quickly mention the third point. And then he'll go on and read it all. You know. The third thing was this. Location three, if you like. It's, it takes, you get your head twisted a wee bit. It's not really a place. In perspective. He has made known to us uh, the mystery of his will. Let me, I, I have a, um, yeah. Guy, uh, Stephen, can, can that go, uh, did I make that up wrong? Can that, can that go back a slide? No. Oh, can I go back again? Uh, just leave it. You recognize that place. That's the Ravenhill Road, right? Now, you're driving down, I don't know where that, it looks like it was taken from the middle of the road. Uh, you're driving down the Ravenhill Road, and all you can see are buildings and trees. You, you can't really see. It's a very limited view. You cannot see anything other than, than that. Let's see the next bit, Stephen. Thanks. There we go. Go up onto Cave Hill, and you get the most amazing view of all the stuff that surrounds the Ravenhill Road, the city of Belfast and beyond, and we get a better understanding of where we are and what's going on. Well, that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about a mystery, because a mystery in the Bible is a secret, but it's a secret which only God can reveal to us, and Paul is saying, I have, I have in your salvation, in Christ, with the indwelling Holy Spirit, I have made it possible for you to know the secrets of God, the plan for the ages. And that's where it goes to the end of the passage. It goes down to the second coming, the redemption of those who are God's possession. That's what Paul's talking about, the second coming of Christ. So, he has given us this vision, this understanding, this knowledge of what's going on in the world, which the rest of the world doesn't have. They don't. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter who they are, the brightest sparks in the world, they haven't got the revelation of the mystery of God. History is moving towards a climax, and it is God's climax. So, what should that do? Let me just finish with this. What should that do? Understanding this we may be that size compared to society around us, but we are enormous 
as God's people. We have nothing to fear. Everything that's going on around us is going to be seen to be part of the great plan, the great plan which will find its, uh, its, its conclusion uh, in our inheritance when Christ shall come, the redemption of those who are in Christ. Uh, other things I could say about that, but we don't really have time. This letter will encourage, this letter is designed to encourage. I know there are people who can take sermons out of it and they can do all sorts of weird things with it, but this letter was designed to encourage a tiny group of Christians in the massive city of Ephesus and the surrounding area. And it wants us, Paul wanted his, his readers to be confident in their spiritual blessings, to know that they were on a hilltop looking down on, on this world. And chapters 4 to 6 will help us work out those blessings while still living in Ephesus, while still living uh, wherever we happen to be. And as we go through these uh, chapters Sunday by Sunday, you're going to plumb great depths, setting the sort of standard here for everybody who's going to be preaching on this passage uh, over the next weeks, plumb great depths of God's planning and purposes uh, for His world and His people. Don't be disturbed by what you read here. Don't allow sinful self to resurrect itself and, and attempt to blind us to what God is saying, because some of it's difficult. Give God a chance to speak of Himself and perhaps to revolutionize our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we are finished for today. Thank you for your word. There is so much there. Pray, Lord, that what we've looked at, you would bless to our use, write it upon our hearts, uh, help us to churn it over in our minds. And we pray that by the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, it may become real to us challenge us, uh, change us, make us more useful uh, in the world in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as these things happen to us and we consider our blessings and our standing in Christ, Lord, that there will be others who will notice and will inquire further about our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.